Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me on episode 27 of the show about the show. I have a great guest lineup today in this episode. Two former major league ball players will join me. The first half of the hour, I am going to be joined by former Montreal Expo and Yankee draft pick Don DeMola. He's going to talk about what it was like getting to and then playing in the major leagues, playing in Canada, and also what he's been doing since. The back half of the hour, we will be talking to one of my favorite players, Billy Sample. He is a uh, he's an author, and he also has a film out, but he also is very, very active on social media with his fans, and he's also going to talk about his career as well. So Billy will be on here in about half an hour. First half of the hour is dedicated to Don DeMola, but this episode, just like every other episode, is dedicated to the memory of my dad, who I lost back in January, and I want to I want to say thank you to everybody who's extended their condolences, as well as if you find a military a disabled veterans organization to support, please do so, as my dad was an Army vet. And quick shout-out before we bring Don on, I do also want to say um, happy happy six-month birthday to my daughter, Josie. She turned six months old on Thursday. I love you, sweetheart, so much. Without any further ado, I am bringing on Don DeMola. How are you doing today, Don? Hey, Devlin, how are you? How's, how's, how's it going well. in your neck of the woods? Uh, it's cold in the neck of the woods. It's very cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Springtime is, I don't know where it is. Anyway, but just before you get started, uh, Billy Sample and I are very good friends. So, Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, and he's got a, he's got a, he's got a new uh, second edition of his book coming out. Next, I think it's this week or next week, so. He's going to come on and talk about that. Talk a little bit about your career. So you were a you were you were drafted by the Yankees. What first of all was baseball always your favorite sport and your first love? And when did you kind of know that you were going to be a baseball player? Well, back then you don't know. Uh, I have a picture actually when I was four years old in a in a full complete uniform. And at four years old, I could throw a ball from my yard into the next yard. So I was, uh, I had a pretty good arms ever since. But when you're growing up, you don't have the access to players that you do today. So sure. when you don't see players around as you when you're a kid, you think that they're Superman. You, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't see them on TV. You don't see them anywhere. You don't see nobody anywhere. The only place you ever see them right. is at the ballpark. So yep. 
your your whole concept of a baseball player back then was like they were like Superman, Batman. Right. It kind of adds to that mystique. Yeah. You didn't see them, so you didn't know what it took to be one. You didn't know how good you were because you had nothing to gauge it against. And, and myself, I was I was a late bloomer. I played every position growing up, from okay. catching to first base, right field. I didn't actually start pitching until I was 12. So, but again, I was a late bloomer. My when I when I mentioned to you before about splitting the high schools, when I was a soft a freshman, we we had a JV team, and and uh, they took a kid ahead of me to varsity to start a game in ninth grade. And my junior year, that guy didn't even make our team when we went to the next high school. Okay. Wow. So, you know, I was a late bloomer, and as my junior and senior years, I got faster and faster and faster. Uh, I'm proud to say I probably had one of the best arms ever to come off Long Island as far as velocity. The... uh and then when I got into the when the Yankees drafted me and I went away, I got faster and faster. That's why I uh, had the invite to, to the major league camp at 18 years old. Yeah, and we were talking before the interview. You uh, you, you were drafted in 1970, but they didn't get a lot. Of, you didn't get a lot of coverage. You were only seen two weeks before you got drafted. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, when they split high schools, the first year in my high school, we, there, were, there were no seniors, only juniors. So we played a non-league schedule for varsity teams. We weren't, we weren't even in the league. So nobody came to watch us. Nobody even looked at us. My senior year, when we finally went into a league, we were picked for last place. So, uh, if anybody, I don't know if you remember a, a lefty that the Red Sox signed back in 67 named John Curtis. He was okay. the number one draft choice out of Smithtown, which is a township of where I grew up. I grew up in Comac, which is in township of Smithtown. But Curtis okay. went on to pitch about 10 or 12 years in the big leagues with Red Sox, uh, Cardinals, so forth. So, when I was pitching my second my, my senior year, I uh, I was like, you know, I, I had uh, wound up the year with uh, nine and two with with 40, 145 strikeouts for seventy five innings. But about three, two to three weeks before the draft, the player went over to my coach after I struck out fifteen and wanted to know how come there were no scouts here. And because he said I had the best arm he's seen since John Curtis. Which is what he, what he, you know, was the way he worded it. And then the next time I pitched, sure. there was some scouts and so forth. I only had a few more games to pitch, and then I got drafted by seventh by the Yankees. Now, is that getting drafted? I mean, obviously now you know it's a big deal. The the first, it, it's not televised, but you know you have. You have, you know, with social media, you kind of have everything you need to know about the process. And that wasn't around back then. Um, can you kind of talk about the whole draft process for you and if you wanted to be drafted by the Yankees? Yeah, well, you know, today they have slots. If you're drafted a certain number, there's a, there's a money slot there. Back then when, when, when we got drafted, there was no money slots. I got – I had no college background. I didn't prepare to go to college, so I had no bargaining power. 
again, but I only I only got I got ten grand to sign. That's it. But the number one draft yeah. choice got seventy five thousand. The number two was got fifty. They were both pitchers. The number four got thirty eight, and I was number seven. These are the first four pitchers, okay? And I got ten. Yep. The only guy that saw any part of the big leagues was number one. He had two two months with. Atlanta in the big leagues. That's it. Nobody else even saw a day in the big leagues or I don't even think got above double A. So I have more big league time than all three of those guys combined. Wow. Wow. Now, so you're drafted in the seventh round by the Yankees in 1970. And talk about 1971 because you were a non-roster invitee. That had to be pretty interesting. Well, especially when I grew up a Yankee fan and Mickey Mantle was my hero, and I finally sure. got to meet him in that spring training camp. He was there sure. as a special instructor. He wasn't a coach or anything, but he was a special instructor. But I was also uh, in in there when um, Thurman Munson signed his Rookie of the Year contract in Ralph Hawk's office. And I remember okay. him getting a, a raise from 14000 to $28,000. Coming, coming out of his office, smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> so, sure, yeah. Oh yeah, for twenty-eight grand. So that's what I met Fritz, mm-hmm. Fritz Peterson, Stan Bonson, uh, Mick, uh, what you call Mel Stolmeyer, Whitey Ford, uh, all them guys. So, but I had a problem with the, the first Yankee strike, the, not the strike, the, the MLB strike put a damper on things. The Yankees co-opted a couple of teams. I did a couple of stupid things being a young asshole. And I admit it now, but so they released me when I was 19. I didn't play that year. Then I sat out that year. And then the next year I went back. Uh, My high school coach got me a tryout. It turned out it was Montreal. Tom T-Bone Giordano. Actually, he's still working in baseball. I believe he's in his 90s. He uh, he was a really cool guy. He was an AD director of Amityville High School out here on Long Island, and a, and a coach and a scout. He signed me, and I went from A ball, double A, winnable. I mean, uh, to instructional league, winnable, skipping triple A to the big leagues in less than a year, Montreal. Now talk talk about that experience because that had to be rather interesting. I mean, you're a guy from. You're a lifelong New Yorker, and then you go to Montreal, Canada, which is a predominantly French-speaking, which is predominantly French-speaking. Talk about what that whole culture shock was like. Well, I'll go one step further. Um, My first year, I went from when I went to Abel, I went to AA, I went to Quebec City, which is about 130 miles north of Montreal. Now, you want to talk about speaking French. That is right. predominantly French. Montreal is a lot sure. of English. You, you could get by in Montreal without speaking French, but in in, okay. in Quebec City, forget about it. And back then, right. when, when when we were playing Montreal, there was a big. They were having a big problem politically. They wanted a lot of the people. The government wanted everything to be French. Wanted all the French speaking, but it never happened. It never. They never went through. Okay. So Montreal. To me, I'll tell you what, Marianne is the greatest little city on the planet. Yeah. Do you think they should have an MLB baseball team right now? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. 
if they were going to move yeah. the team downtown, Sherry Park was a was a triple-A ballpark. And then when they went to the Olympic Stadium, that was a non-fan-friendly ballpark. It was a track track stadium. They um, Sure. If, if they wanted to put a, a field down by the river in old Montreal, and that would have flourished. And one politician knocked it down. One. And I remember yeah. seeing the film that he said, we're not building a stadium to make 24, his exact comments was 24 Americans rich. That was his comments. Wow. Okay. But look so at Toronto. Like, yeah. Yeah, they've thrived. It, so it, it, it kind of sounds like it was it was a baseball city that was hungry for baseball, but it seems oh, like the political, the political climate at the times just didn't kind of allow for it. The one one guy, one one guy. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, you know, they, I, I, you know, I knew a lot of French people. Their kids all played little league. It was, it was as, as hockey is here in the states for kids and everything. How big it is today. Baseball yep. was just as big back then up there. Sure. And and they took that away from those people. I got, I mean, I I have a lot of friends on Facebook and so forth, and they all crying. Warren Cromartie is in with a bunch of guys trying to bring a team back back to the to the to the city. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those things that you know one of the cool moments that uh, that I think has happened so far this year is you saw the the Blue Jays were playing. In Montreal, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. ended up going yard. As a former Expo player, what was that moment like to just kind of see that? No, it's, it's again, like I said, that town was starving for baseball. Even Jerry Park, where people don't realize yeah. Jerry Park was a triple A ball park, and yet they drew, we drew over a million people there every year. Sure. You know, sure. it was it was you know, and it was in a little Italian part of town, and and they really the people were always there. They were very you know, if it would have been a nicer yard and everything else, you probably would have gotten more and more you know easily uh, what do you call it? The uh, located the metro in Montreal is awesome. The subway system, sure. yeah. you could eat down there. It's on it's on rubber tires. You know, it's really a it's tremendous system. Absolutely. Let's let's fast forward a little bit. Tell me about April thirteenth, nineteen seventy four. Which one? April thirteenth, nineteen seventy four. Is that uh, my debut? <laughs> That's your major league debut. Tell me about that. Set that scene for us. What what you were feeling? How you got it? What you well, you know? That was in Wrigley Field. And and okay. and. Uh, I remember it very well. The we had no lefties in the bullpen. I was and when the writers asked G Mark why you had no lefties in the bullpen, they said I have Demola and it's fastball lefty righty, you still gotta hit it. So the first man I ever faced in the in the in the major leagues, it was the ninth inning. It was two outs. 
and it was Rick Monday, left-handed hitter. Sure, yeah. And then I threw uh, up and away fastball that he fouled or fouled, and forget who was playing third, if it was Parrish or Bailey or whoever, and they caught it between the coach's box and the dugout, and that was the end of the game. Now, the what what you don't realize is that that day was a, was a double header. And okay. I pitched I pitched the last two innings of the second game, which I had never done before. It was pitched twice in one day, three four hours apart. Sure. And the next next day, my arm was hanging, but Mike Torres started that game. My good friend. And we won that game, and I pitched a couple of innings. I don't, I don't think I don't. I don't think I gave up any runs. I gave a couple of hits, and uh, I don't remember about strikeouts or nothing. But the, the first pitch I remember explicitly. I can still see it today, throwing it to Monday. Tell me, tell me about your first major league win. You ended your major league career five wins and seven losses. 3.77 ERA and 110 strikeouts. Tell me what you remember about your first major league win. First major league win was in San Diego. I remember that because the team saved me back then. Remember the old ticker tape, the teletypes? Uh, they yep. used to come up. Yep. So I have yep. actually have that, that ticker tape in my scrapbook at home that came over the okay. wire because there was no computers or anything like that. So that sure. was in San Diego. I remember, I don't remember the particulars of the game, but I remember my first game was in San Diego. But I, I was a guy that was mired in a team that didn't score runs. Multiple, multiple times I pitched four, five, six innings in relief in tie ball games and without our team scoring any runs. So, you know, I was always the, the recipient of, of no support. And the team, again, my first my two years there was uh, last place both times. Absolutely. My, my, I, my, my problem, my, my second year, I pitched the whole year in pain, and you didn't say anything to nobody. I had a 1.9 going into the All-Star break. I was actually in the top five, I think, in, in baseball on the and with uh, numbers and I remember the clubhouse guy asking Gene if he was going to go to the All-Star game and he said if they pick the bowler I'll go but I didn't have any saves or wins weren't that you know plentiful the team just you know we just didn't you know when, when let's put it this way I, I did my job on the mound but the team never got any runs if I would have sure. hung around without my arm falling off because uh, the next year when I went back, I, they made me, you know I played three years of winter ball with two months off in three years. He never let me rest, and I had a for a man that ranked me in the top five percent velocity in baseball, and kept making me go back to winter ball. Which after the first year I was down here with Carter when we were roomies, me and Gary, that I blew the league away. Why I had to go back two more times. So when it finally caught up to me and, and my arm, uh, I wound up having elbow surgery by the same op, uh, Joe King in Houston who operated on Ryan, who said to my GM while I was sitting across the table phone, it's the second worst elbow we've seen in 35 years. 
why my manager did that to my arm after with the promising arm and career that I did have in front of me. Sure. And, and you talked about your last major league appearance uh-huh. was September 20. Your last game in the bigs was September 28, 1975. What do you remember about that game? Uh, I can't remember that. That that was like, okay, like I said, I I couldn't walk around. I had to hook my thumb on my on my belt loop in my pants. I couldn't let my arm hang or it hurt. Then the next sure. year, I, I, that winter, I had to go to Dominican Republic again, and then come back and try to and pitch in spring training, and that's when my arm really fell apart. And it's <laughs> unfortunate that I didn't have uh, a ten or twelve year career. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. Today, teams, uh, they take care of guys a whole lot different than they did back then. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate and I'm happy that, you know, like I said, that I was lucky enough to have almost three years in the majors. Part of it was on the disabled mm-hmm. list. But it was a boyhood dream that I was come true. Right now, to this day, baseball has been in existence over 100 years. There are less than 20,000 people that ever wear a big league uniform that I'm one of them. That's fantastic. That's really, really awesome. Now, you, you talked earlier about your first uh, after being drafted. You got to meet your, you got to meet your hero, Mickey Mantle. Can you give us a Mickey Mantle story? Mantle was, was, when he was down here in spring training, he wasn't very friendly to anybody. He never got a uniform. He hung around. His son was with him. One of his kids was with him. That's all he seemed to do was play with him. He wasn't a very friendly guy. So it was a big disappointment for me because, you know, I was, like I said, he was my boyhood hero. I grew up with a guy that you might remember his name. He's a pretty famous guy right now. We went to high school together, Bob Costas. Oh, yeah. All right, Bob and I went to high school, junior high together. And uh, I speak to Bob to this day. I see him in Yankee Stadium when he's doing an MLB game or, or, or City Field with the Mets. I go in, and he was a he was the Mick. Whenever we played stickball or whatever we, whatever we did, he was the Mick. Up comes the Mick. So, sure. but everybody was Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle. And then I actually got to meet him. I mean, Bob met him late years on later in a different, you know, aspect. But I met him in a Yankee uniform, and he wasn't a very friendly guy. And I'm sure back then he had lots of problems, which he had, you know, better better things sure. to do than mess around with a rookie. Right. Now, if I remember correctly, I think I think Bob Costas actually gave the eulogy at Mantle's funeral. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he did. Okay. Now, when well, talk about the uh, talk about Thurman Munson because he's a really he's a really interesting player that I think a lot of people kind of overlook. But he's the heart and soul of those Yankee teams Munson, for a lot of Munson years. Munson was a Munson was a hard ass man. He was a real hard ass. He he played the game like uh, the the Expos had a catcher named Bobby Goodman that was a number one draft choice after. Barry Foote was in 70, my year, who caught me. And then Gary was drafted in 72, I think second or third. And then they had Goodman that came that they drafted 74, number one pick. Goodman would have been probably better than both of them. 
Barry was a good receiver, couldn't hit like Gary. Gary could move yep. a lot quicker. Gary had more power, and it was just was an all-around better athlete. But Goodman, Goodman was a scrubber like like Munson. And what happened to him was he was in a ball. He had he had power to all fields. He he was like a Munson kind of guy. Probably would hit more home runs than Thurman. But he was in Florida State League at West Palm Beach, and he was going from first to second on a ground ball, and he did a head first slide, and the shortstop came with the remember you know the under the throw get down and hit him right in the forehead. With the ball, oh, sure, yeah. He did a tumble, separated his shoulder, and he was never the right. He was never right again. He never, he never recovered from that. Uh, but this was a guy. Yeah. He got up and he got dressed to go to church, and he and he just took a shower. Looked like he fell in the mud. That's the kind of player he was. Yeah, he was. He was that Beautiful. kind of a scrappy player. And Munson was that all about it. Munson would have been, if he had he played longer, he would have probably been easily a Hall of Famer at 10 years. He was a clutch hitter, even though he threw sidearm. He had a fishtail on, on his throws to second base. He always got the ball there. He, he compensated for it. So, I mean, but he was quick release. He was quick everything. And, and the only thing that was his problem was he, he had to go home to Ohio whenever he could, and that's why the plane killed him. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So when you look back at your career, you know, you didn't have a long career. You got drafted by the team that you that you kind of grew up watching, and you got to play in the major league. When you look at, when you look at your career, what's kind of the one overwhelming thing when people say, oh, you're a major league baseball player? What's your kind of what's your first reaction to that? Wait, I said I didn't quite hear the whole question. Say it again, Doug. When you uh, when people say, "Oh, you're you were a major league baseball player," that's pretty cool. What what's your first reaction to that? Well, uh, what I used to say to people when I was younger, I'm going to be I'm going to be 66 this year. So, but when I was younger, sure. I would say, "Here, feel my hand. Does it feel like yours?" And they would say, yeah. Right. I'd say, well, I'm, I'm human just like you were. I said, I was fortunate sure. enough to have a talent. And I, you know, listen, one thing I, you know, Duke Schneider was my batting coach in the big leagues. Okay. And, and, wow. and let me tell you okay. something. That man was probably one of the top three most classiest, greatest people I ever met in my life. Okay? Yeah. And he, what he said years ago to me was you see the same people on the way up as you see on the way down. Sure. And I never forgot sure. that. And I never thought and trust and, and thought of myself as better or bigger than anybody else because I was a baseball player. Sure. But don't think for one second I'm that proud that, that I was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I always kind of find is, find interesting is you know you're you're on facebook and that's how that's how we connected you're pretty active it seems like how much fan mail do you get how much uh interaction you have with kind of fans either i get a, maybe I get a few a month and i get people that i don't even know from adam and ask me if i'll sign something and i'll say sure and i'll tell them to send it and i give them my address and they send it to me and i sign it and they send it back 
I don't, you know, okay. if, if somebody asks, you know, I don't mind. It's, it's, and I give them my address. So, you know, I'm not uh, sure. looking for money or anything like that. So, sure, sure. Not, that's awesome. Well, Don, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. We're just about out of time, but uh, I cannot hey, tell listen. you how much I appreciate. It. Yeah. Do me, do me a favor. Give Billy a kiss for me when you, when you get him on the phone. All right. <laughs> I will uh, I, I will do that. I will give him a big He's a, he's a great will, guy, man. He, he comes out to my charity softball game every August. He comes out and he's umpires or whatever. So I do a breast cancer charity softball game in August. And Billy's been there the last three, four years. And, you know, he's really okay. a great guy. So give him a kiss for me when you get him on the phone, all right? I will. Hey, Don, before I let you go, let's talk about that real quick. Talk, get, give, it, give a plug for your charity softball game. Where people can find where? For what? Give a give for, a plug for, for your charity softball games. Where they can get tickets, yeah, well, find it's, 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 it's for breast cancer. We we get a lot of local celebrities, news uh, news news anchors, and so forth. And and uh, had the Calsills a couple of years. Claudia Wells from Back to the Future. And and it's it's all about it. It's it's it's, it's a, a bunch of celebrities that play. I manage the team. And we play against a local team there, and it's to raise money for breast cancer. It's, it's this year, I believe it's August 12. It's in Ronkonkoma. You can check with the Ronkonkoma Chamber of Commerce if you're interested in going. There's a $10 admission fee, but we usually raise about five grand, and it's really nice. And Billy comes, like I said, the last four years. Excellent, excellent. Don, I greatly appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Hey, Dev, nice talking to you. I'm glad we finally got this got this together, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank right, you man. very much, Don. Take care of yourself. Take care. Yeah, bye. you too. Thanks. All right, bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was former major leaguer Don DeMola. And as he mentioned, we have Billy Sample on. Billy is a former major leaguer. And uh, I don't know if you heard the end of that uh, interview, Billy, but uh, he asked me to give you a big kiss. Hey, hey, Devlin. I actually just heard the last couple of uh, things that Don said, and I thought, geez, that sounds like Don. And it was Don. Okay. Um, he He's uh, fantastic in raising money, as a lot of the people uh, do. He grew up in Long Island, and he, he has some charities that I try to be a part of because it at my age, I'm flattered. Well, even at my younger age, I'm flattered that somehow I could use my celebrity or quasi-celebrity to help raise money for sure. for worthy causes. So I'm I'm very flattered. Yeah, and he he was talking about the uh, breast cancer the breast cancer softball game, and he's really appreciative that you've come out and umpired or whatever. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? I mean, I know it's I know it's Don's event, but uh, can you kind of talk a little bit about that? He has a lot of good-looking women in shorts, so um, <laughs> it works for me. Right? Absolutely. Where, Long Absolutely. Island, I need directions every time I go to it. But uh, uh, <laughs> I, it, I just uh, – I'm flattered that I'm asking. And Don and I have been buddies for quite some time. And uh, before he hurt his arm, he could really rush the ball up there. And uh, so I, I'm glad to be a part of the fraternity. I'm glad to be a part of uh, whatever he's he's a part of. But he's right. I have made it out to that event a few times. and. As I alluded to, um, yeah, there's some nice sites there in addition to uh, to raising money for a worthy cause. 
absolutely. Now, you know, Don, Don talked about playing in the bigs in the 70s. He he obviously had a two-year career with the Expos. Your debut was September 2nd, 1978. Um, but, you, but before you played Major League Baseball, you were actually a pretty good football player. You scored the uh, winning touchdown in the 1971 state uh, AAA championship game. What made you decide to switch to baseball? Well, I, it really wasn't a, a switch. I was playing baseball. In fact, I played baseball, basketball, and and football. Uh, I was better, I think, at football, uh, but I, I had a love for baseball for a long time. In basketball, I was the point guard who, um, thank goodness, the uh, shooting guard averaged about 20-some points a game because I, <laughs> I think I averaged five <laughs> points a game my senior year in high school. Sure. Devlin, if I drove the lane and you fouled me, you only helped improve my shot. That's how bad I <laughs> so, uh, but I think, but I think it was around age 15 that I thought, well, if I'm going to make it in anything uh, athletically, and I couldn't tell you what else I wanted to do, then it was going to be baseball. Sure. So I went to all the tryout camps and improved my speed a little bit, played American Legion ball. In fact, played American Legion ball against a couple of major leaguers, uh, Ken Clay, who was a right-handed pitcher for the Yankees and Mariners, and Al Holland, who was Alfred back then, uh, who was the Phillies' uh, 1983 Fireman of the Year, he could rush the ball up there. I have no idea why Al didn't get drafted out of high school or college. Um, sure. Still a head scratcher for me, but he could rush it up there. He's in my top whatever as far as hard throwers that I've ever faced. Now, you were drafted by oh, the Rangers. I'm sorry. You asked me about the game. I'm sorry, Devlin. You asked me about the game, uh, about the football. Um, we had one um, – Back in those days, at least our coaching staff told us you had to go through your district undefeated in order to advance into the playoffs, and I think everybody was undefeated. By the time we got to T.C. Williams from the movie, uh, Remember the Titans, we were 12-0 and and they were 12-0. and In the movie, they depicted playing Marshall, which was a district team, because that's the only close game they played all year. I think the final game was 19-14. to They shut out eight opponents, including us. We had an early touchdown wow. call back and uh, mounted no offense after that. In the semifinal game, I caught seven passes for – I was a wide receiver – seven passes for 117 yards and a touchdown and a 26-21 victory. Not that I remember that from 46 years ago. Uh, but in the final game, uh, I caught one pass. They called it back. That was it. I got shut out. They put Deion Sanders on me or somebody like that. Um, actually, his name was Earl – what was his name? Earl Cook, I think, is his name, and he's a, or at least he was and may still be, the police chief in Alexandria, Virginia. And okay. to, to put more tangents on it, he played at Duke, which means he was not only a better athlete, but he was a lot smarter than me. <laughs> he, he played at Duke <laughs> with one of uh, with one of my buddies in the area, J.T. Turner, who was an offensive lineman with the New York Giants. In fact, he was on the field with that famous fumble. I asked JT from a distance, how did that feel when he saw his money going away uh, to the other side of the field? But um, um, but uh, the way JT talks about Earl, I, I'm flattered that I, I got the opportunity to play against him because uh, JT had very nice things to say about his talent. So I didn't feel all that bad as many times as I relived that game. But um Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we had we had it was a good area. Um, we've had uh, a number of people. There's not a whole lot to do 
in Southwest Virginia, I guess. I, I don't. Know. Uh, I, I was born in Roanoke and grew up in nearby Salem, and high school football was was the thing there. And um, I played against uh, Dwayne Pee Wee Board uh, from Franklin County. He played on the first three 49ers Super Bowl teams. Uh, oh, it's sure. also yep. the same okay. area, the same district as the uh, the Barbers. Rondé and Tiki, they went to Tiki. Cave Spring. J.J. Yeah. Reddick, uh, the basketball star, he went to Cave Spring, and they were in our district. So they turned out quite a few athletes from that area. You were drafted by the Rangers in 1976. Talk about that process. Well, I was drafted uh, in 1973, actually, by the Rangers, by uh, okay. Joe Branzell, the late, great Joe Branzell. It was in the 28th round, and for some reason I thought I was going – Somewhere in the teens. So, he, so by the time he found me uh, to tell me, and this is a lot earlier than than having it on MLB or MLB.com or whatever. Uh, I think it was sure. day two before. And probably, I probably wasn't drafted until day two. And um, he found me and said, "Well, Bill, this is Joe Branzell of the Texas Rangers. We drafted you in the 28th round." And at that time, there were 24 teams. And he could hear my disappointment, I guess, because I thought I was going significantly higher than that. He said, well, Bill, 23 other teams passed over you 27 times. <laughs> As if to say, don't blame us for drafting you. <laughs> right. So right. I was labeled a draft and follow, and I went to James Madison. At that time, was not far from being an all-female institution. And, and Brad Babcock, our coach, was such a good recruiter that – I think from my sophomore year, we had one, two, three, four, five, six guys sign pro contracts. Uh, Todd Winterfeld, okay. the best player on the team, he made it to AAA with the Mets. Uh, J.W. Mitchell, Jim Barb uh, made it to AA with the Cubs and the Rangers. Uh, Michael Cass was a, a teammate of Cal Ripken Jr.'s and the Miners. Um, Roger Lee, Tim Simonis. And so in just a very short amount of time, uh, they put together uh, quite some program. Uh, Babcock and, and Dean Ehlers, the athletic director, and Ronald Carrier, the president at the time, and they really uh, ushered it. Oh, and in football, geez, they had Charles Haley come uh, after me. But you go sure. from playing a, a, a JV schedule in a high school field as you're starting your program to having a Hall of Famer come through there. So they did a really good job in a short amount of time to build a male athletic program. Now let's talk a little bit about September 2nd, 1978. Tell me about that day. Walk us through it. Well, Rich Donnelly, about four days earlier, my AAA manager, and subsequently you've seen Rich in the big leagues for a number of teams. Jim Leland uh, and Rich went together for a number of times. In fact, he was the third base coach on the uh, the Marlins' first World Series team in 93, I okay. think it was. And uh, Rich told me, about five days or four, four or five days earlier, I remember it was in Albuquerque, and I played out of Tucson, and he said, you're going up, and I thanked him. And um, I, I, I think I felt that, okay, well, I wasn't surprised by it. Let's say. I was third in the league in batting, and, and I think I did everything I wanted to do in order to get to the major leagues. Although, in double-A ball, I took an 0 for 37. I went 11 consecutive games to that end. <laughs> you talk about a suicide watch. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so by the time I got to AAA, okay, so I'll fast forward. And, um, okay, so we leave from Tucson. We go from Tucson to Phoenix, Phoenix to Chicago, Chicago to Milwaukee. By the time you get there, we're meeting the team on the road. 
you're just strained. And uh, even as a young person, I walk through the clubhouse, and I see the lineup cards up, and it has sample leading off, which, okay, I didn't think I would play that soon. We were about five and a half games out at the time. But, okay, that's fine. Sure. But what bothered me a little bit is that it had four beside my name, <laughs> and meaning second base. And I, and I sure. also not only took an 0 for 37 in double-A ball, but I still think I have the Texas League record for most errors by a second baseman. I think I burned that glove somewhere. I didn't even have an infielder's glove anymore. They moved me back to the outfield because I was really hurting pitchers' confidences. And um, so then I'm a little little concerned about that because, oh, my goodness. Sure. Um, so a little bit before the game, Billy Hunter, the manager, uh, pulled me over and said, well, they wanted to give Bump Wills a switch hitting second baseman a little less time from his right side because I thought he was struggling a little bit from his right side. So, okay, I got it. So no matter what I did, Bump was going into the game. First pitch from Jerry Augustine, sinking fastball, low and away, a line in the right center field, off the glove of a diving Sixto Lascano. And uh, I'm at first base, and I'm just cheesing. I've got this grin that I can't. I can't, I can't, it won't leave me. It was like it was right. painted on. And here comes a bump to the run for me. My day is over. See you, bye. Big leagues, not all that tough. <laughs> it was downhill after that. I don't know what Bob Eucher thought was going on, though. The, the Brewers, uh, long time, the sure. Hall of Fame broadcaster. I must have pulled a muscle going from home to first. <laughs> now, did you get the baseball from that hit? Yeah, somebody uh, scuffed up one, and then they had the other one, but I, I'm not all that sentimental. I don't even know where it is. I have a number okay. of baseballs around here, but I think somewhere sure. in the in the moves it got lost. I'll probably find it sure. at some point in life, but I don't have my first hit. I don't have my first home run. Somebody was trying to negotiate something. They said they had the first home run ball and uh, years ago, and then I was trying to get the ball, and and uh, they wanted tickets to a sky ball, something they wanted special, and I tried to arrange that, and they still didn't come up with the ball. So I don't know. Maybe if I go on and do something famous, the ball will be be big. They'll, there you go. It'll be worth their. It'll right. be worth their time to hold on to the ball. Right. Now you. Uh, so you made the tops all rookie team in 1979, and you also, in contrast to your 0 for 37. You actually had the longest hitting streak in 1981 of any player, which was 19 games. Uh, and you were fifth in the American League in steals, 44 steals and 52 attempts in 1983. Talk about getting into a groove in the majors, because it sounds it, it it seems like you kind of you kind of got comfortable pretty quickly. Oh my goodness, Devlin, was that the longest hitting streak in, in uh, 1981? Was was that the 19 game? Yep. Or was it my longest? Yep. It was my longest, but was it the longest? Oh, my goodness, thank you. Jeez, can I make an, uh, an addition to my book? And <laughs> I'll have to give you credit for that. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez, the, uh, uh, the formatter's already tired, tired of me making changes. Um, well, the 19-game hitting streak was uh, a little different. I had a hitting streak. I was leading the league in doubles at the time, and the light stanchions at old Arlington Stadium. It's a former minor league ballpark, and I guess the stanchions are lower in minor league parks than they are in the major league parks, and it seemed like every line drive went into the lights. And most of the time they came out of the lights, but every once in a while they don't. I remember losing a game. John Matlack was on the mound. 
when Lamar Johnson hit one of those lines, his patented line drives had stayed in the lights, and I lost, and we lost the game 3-1. to one. Well, this one, UL Washington hit a line drive. We were leading the game comfortably, but still I think they had base runners on, and so the catch had to be made. But the line drive didn't come out of the lower tier of the lights until very late, and I couldn't make a move on the ball until it almost hit the ground. So in, instead of being able to make a catch and lifting my hand, I made a catch and rolled over on my hand and broke the ulnar styloid bone in my left wrist. Oh. So I went on a DL. In fact, they put me on a DL before I even knew it was broken. I knew something was wrong, and uh, they took the x-rays, and the next thing you know, I'm on a DL. And uh, so I went down, um, came back up, hit in a few more games, and then we had the labor impasse of uh, 50 days, and then uh, we yeah. came back, and I got to hit the first game back. So that made 19 over a stretch of, I don't know, 100 and some days, I think it was. Now, that, you're, you're correct. Line. That was actually your longest hitting streak, not not in the ah, season, okay. but your longest career. Um, yeah, I was thinking Mickey so, Rivers had a 24-game streak, and somebody else on our team had – Mickey, I think, had two 20-plus game hitting streaks, yeah. But it's still in the that, Rangers that, program, so I'm okay. I'm okay right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, after your playing career, you kind of you kind of got into the the broadcasting writing aspect of it. You've uh, you've been a broadcaster for the Braves, the Mariners, and the Angels, as well as a contributor to NPR, CBS Radio, MLB.com, and ESPN, as well as be, having been published in the New York Times and Sports Illustrated. What's uh? What got you kind of into broadcasting and writing? Was it did it just kind of come naturally to you being a former player, or was it something that you wrote something and somebody noticed it and said, "Hey, this is really good"? Oh, good question. I told my oldest son yesterday that I it took me a long time to realize that I I enjoy writing, uh, and I had some good instructors uh, in high school, um, uh, Melinda Sayers. Uh, Beth Bird, Judy Pitts, I remember uh, hanging out a, a lot in the English office, uh, at least getting a uh, – my syntax is not great. <laughs> Thank goodness there, there are editors around. But as far as getting themes going and um, and making a point with what you're writing, so I had some good background there. I can go all the way back to my first and second grade teacher, uh, Lucy Harmon, who really sort of molded me, I think, and or pushed me in the correct sure. – um, area but um the broadcasting came uh, i needed a job uh, they were colluding uh, against players in the mid 80s and i was a marginal free agent and all of a sudden players with a lifetime 272 average who hit albeit in a part-time role 285 the previous year couldn't find jobs and um, so i had to figure out okay what am i going to do i would have liked to have had a little more time to work on that and maybe to work on the craft as well but i was fortunate enough to um impressed someone a little bit, and I uh, worked at TBS um, with the Braves in 88-89. I played with the Braves in 86, and then 88 and 89 was a broadcaster there, and I uh, was really fortunate to be accepted uh, right away by people like Skip Carey and Pete Van Weeren and Ernie Johnson Sr. Uh, they treated me sure. very well, as most people have treated me very well, but to have a young buck coming on and making – uh, probably more than his share of mistakes and misspeaks. Um, <laughs> I, I always appreciate what what they did and going out of their way uh, to work sure. with me. Uh, 
Yeah, and I probably have about 70 different broadcasters I've worked with. It seems like everybody I work with. I even worked a couple of CBS radio games with Ernie Harwell, um, uh, Bob Starr, uh, a couple of years, Angels Radio. Uh, what a tremendous yep. broadcaster he was. So it was it was fortunate. I was fortunate to to have people like that. Oh, Dave Niehaus with the man. Oh my goodness, uh, what a what a plum to work with. Uh, have an opportunity to work with Dave uh, for uh, for a year, and um, so it, it's been it's been fun. And I probably appreciated broadcasting more growing up. Maybe more football broadcasting because I was probably more into football at the time. Um, but uh, sure. to meet Frank Lieber, to me, he did a lot of Browns games. He was from Dallas. I think I was more excited about meeting him than I, I was a lot of the, the, the baseball people that I had come to uh, to meet later on. And it's kind of cool in a way when you, you get the opportunity. When I was growing up, as I said, in the, in the mountains of uh, southwest Virginia, the only game we got back then was the game of the week. We did have a minor league team in town. Uh, it was the Pirates uh, affiliate for most of my growing up. And I got the opportunity to play with and against guys that I watched play as I was growing up, which was which was kind of cool too. But uh, we'd see the Yankees most of the time. So as I was traded, hello. I think we might have lost Billy here. Um, yep, it looks like his uh, the the call did get disconnected. I do apologize about that. You know, we we do record these um, with our. I record this with my cell phone, and I just have the um, player call in. But you can tell that uh, you know Billy's Billy's had a really interesting interesting major league career. He's very very well spoken. Um, if he comes back on here shortly, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about his book and his movie that he has coming out. It's, it's been about, he's got, we've got about 10 minutes left in this hour. He has, he has a, um, it's, it's an award-winning screenplay actually. He, uh, from the Hoboken Film Festival in 2011, the movie is called Reunion 108. It's an edgy satirical comedy with a baseball backdrop, directed by James Suttles, the filmmaker, that was released back in October of uh, of 2013. And Billy is also self-published on Amazon his first book called A Year in Pinstripes and Then Some, which highlighted his 1985 season. Uh, with the New York Yankees that also included anecdotes from his childhood as well as times from his career with the Rangers and the Braves. All right, where did I leave you hanging there? Jeez. Uh, I, I made a point no, to charge that... everything and make sure everything was working, and I'm I'm talking, all of a sudden you're not responding. I'm going, uh-oh. <laughs> no, that's totally Okay. I was actually just telling the listeners, Billy, about uh, how you're uh, how you're a big time filmmaker now. Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, yeah, and you too <laughs> can lose more... money. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wrote a screenplay. It's um, it's a little bit in your face. It's um, mm-hmm. oh, we have an IMDb page if anyone wants to go to it. Reunion 108, the name of the movie. It's a clubhouse. Um, it's a strongly R-rated. In fact, when the Raider for, from the classification board called, 
and told me the rating, I was jumping up and down. Oh, thank goodness. I thought it might be NC-17. And um, But it's it's funny. It's satirical. Uh, but I have to tell people it's um, it's a little harsh at times. It's it's a clubhouse sure. movie, and um, yeah, but a really funny one and a lot of fun to uh, produce. Um, we had and four you, former ma- actually, major leaguers in there. Yeah, I'm sorry. And you, actually, you uh, we actually, had four former major leaguers. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was my mistake. Oh okay, sure. This is an award-winning <laughs> screenplay here. Let me go ahead and produce it. Uh, yes, it took top honors at the Hoboken Film Festival in in 2011. We we let's see, I think it was 2012. We shot the movie, and um, we had a limited showing it in theaters. I think we were in four theaters, uh, two big theaters, but uh, big name theaters, um, but. Um, then we went to uh, Amazon. You can you can see the movie on Amazon DVD or instant download. Uh, you have to do sure. things like now you have to close caption uh, everything, so you have to go back and do that. And there are a lot of parts of the process that that I was new to, but I'm glad that I went through it. If indeed there's a sequel to that, but it was a lot of fun. Four major leaguers in there. Four former major leaguers in there, um, and. Uh, Fernando Perez, who uh, stole the base in the 2008 World Series for the Rays against the Phillies, he's in it, and Fernando's just a just a gem. Oh my goodness, we had so much fun shooting that, and I think across the board, everyone enjoyed being part of the process. Absolutely, we got about seven minutes left, Billy. I want to. The other thing I really want to talk about, I know you're really proud of, is uh, your book, A Year in Pinstripes and Then Some. Tell everybody about that. Well, I, I wanted to write a book, and I wanted to capture – I live in New Jersey, uh, northeast New Jersey, as I have since I was traded from the Rangers to the Yankees back in 1985. So I, I wanted to have a hook uh, for people in the area to read. So – it centered around that year that I was traded to the Yankees in 1985 and subsequently traded to the Braves in 86. So it was just one year, but there was a lot going on in that year. In fact, I would tell some of the sports writers that they were really fortunate in New York because you never had to look for a story. One would just sort of evolve right in front of your eyes. Uh, and sure. um, so there's a lot going on there. It covers some other things, too, a little bit of my growing up, uh, a little bit of uh, my Rangers um, years, which uh, was six years in a month and a year with the Braves. But um, it centers around that year with the Yankees. That's sort of the hook for the book. And I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm, uh, I've enjoyed writing it. I've added a couple of chapters to it. That should be out later this month, probably within uh, two weeks or, or ten days or so. And... Um, I, I think you'll enjoy it. It'll sort of leave you. It's not a. It's not a long book. It, it'll leave you, I think, with a little smile about what goes on because I. I've been fortunate enough to have witnessed a lot of different things, and I think I can present it in a way that that people will enjoy it. And the the first edition did well, and I would anticipate that the second edition will too. Uh, both the movie and the book are uh, can be reached uh, on Amazon. Um, Reunion 108, and it, and it has a website too, and a website, 
and a Facebook page, and uh, a year in pinstripes, and then some also on on Amazon. Thank you for letting me get that promo in. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed writing it. Um, as I was saying earlier, Devlin, and I think that writing is what I really. I never knew what I wanted to do. I have a BS in psychology. What does one do with a BS in psychology? <laughs> in fact, one of my professors right. said, he said, in order to counsel, because I, I thought I was going to be a counselor, and he said, in order to counsel other people, you had to have your stuff together. And I thought, hmm, well, that wasted three years. Okay, <laughs> find something else to do. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm now, still we, trying to figure out what I'm doing in life. Now, Billy, we got about four and change left. You're very active on Facebook it, especially when it comes to um, kind of, kind of, I guess, the collector groups and the autograph groups. Talk about what it's like to have fans send you fan mail and request autographs and things like that. Because you know, you're one of probably the most active and genuinely kind players I've seen in terms of interacting and like, you know, being willing to come on my podcast. And I know you're in a couple other groups that I'm in. Um, what? Kind of talk about giving giving back and, you know, being fan-friendly. <laughs> I thought you were going to mention something else. Actually, I'm probably more geopolitical than I am uh, uh, as, <laughs> as far as the baseball part of it. But um, I, I always considered it part of the entertainment package. And I realize that everyone's not the same. And I think if everyone was the same, it would be a little boring anyway. But I, I, my time to sign autographs was after the game, which isn't always the easiest thing to do, especially when you've got two little kids in, in the back of the car in, in 100 degrees Arlington, Texas. But uh, sure. for the most part, I, I, I felt that this is just – I'm trying well, – I'm not even trying. It's, it's, it's easy for me. And I, if I'm enhancing one's appreciation of the game, which I try to do in every entity I work in, then this is a, a small part of it. And now as I say that, I've been out of town. I've got about 35 card requests upstairs thinking, oh, my goodness, this is going to take me forever. Uh, but I try to try to give people a little feeling of, of what it's like. I tend to be a little off the cuff a little bit uh, with a little humor. And maybe if I can bring you into the clubhouse, if you're not watching Reunion 108, <laughs> if I can bring you into the clubhouse and get a feel for what it's like, being with the with the with the guys with the baseball players with the fraternity, then um, I, I think that's a good thing. I, I I would be the same way in other sports. I I got a kick out of one time I was at a sports Emmy and I was uh, introducing uh, one category with Eddie Westfall, uh, the former hockey player from the Boston Bruins and the sure. New York Islanders, yep. and he didn't know he, he didn't quite understand how how excited I was to be um, sharing the podium with him. And, and it's the same way. I was at a function, a charity function on Long Island, and Otis Taylor was in front of me, or, or behind me, I guess. We were going in alphabetical order. And Otis had no idea what it meant to me as a football player to be sharing the same stage as someone who had such a, a dramatic uh, um, uh, and impressive career and one of the, the biggest catchers in, in Super Bowl history. So I, I, yeah, I guess I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a fan for other things. So I can understand it. Absolutely. Now, really quickly, um, really quickly, I just want to say I cannot tell you thank you enough for being willing to come on the podcast. If you guys are interested at all in seeing Reunion 108, as Billy mentioned, you can find that on Amazon.com. You can find it streaming on Amazon Prime. 
his first his book that came out in 2016, A Year in Pinstripes and Then Some, highlights his 1985 season with the Yankees. It is fascinating. That was the first edition. The second edition is coming out soon. You can also find that on Amazon as well. Billy, I just hope when you make it big as a producer, you'll come back as a movie producer. You'll come back on the podcast again. Oh, I'd be honored. Thank you, Devlin. I appreciate it. And thank you for uh, for uh, tracking me down and doing all that homework. My goodness, you must have been bored. <laughs> Billy, it was, my, it, it was my pleasure, Billy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was the amazing Billy Sample. As I said, you can you can find... You can find his book and movie both on Amazon.com. The book called A Year in Pinstripes and Then Some, and the movie is Reunion 108. Stay tuned. I'm going to take a short half-an-hour break, and I'm going to come back in about a half an hour with with the second show of the day. I'm going to have Ed Hearn, who is a former backup catcher for the world champion 86 Mets, He has such an amazing, incredible story. He is so much more than just a backup catcher. He's he's battled depression, he's battled kidney failure, he's battled cancer, and now he's a motivational speaker. That is going to be one episode that you do not want to miss, and then I am also going to have in that same episode, I'm going to have um, former Rookie of the Year, Greg Olson. Um, He is a member of the Orioles Hall of Fame. He's going to come on, and we're going to talk some baseball, so... I cannot thank you guys enough for listening. We're going to take a going to take about a half an hour break and we will hopefully chat with you again down in podcast land. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.